On this episode of Bright Future, I talk about the Ohio train derailment that resulted in an incident that threatens the health and well-being of hundreds or even thousands of Americans. Despite this fact, this incident seemed to go ignored by, for over a week by national news. This is a weekly political podcast that follows current events and looks at how we may do better so that there may be a brighter future. I'm your host, Samuel Adams, but please call me Sam. And without further ado, let's begin this week's episode, which I have titled Three Kilometer Ohio. Man, I am really sick and tired of these comedy absurdist drama films becoming reality shortly afterwards. White Noise, a movie released on Netflix on December 30th, 2022, is about a university professor and his family experiencing an airborne toxic event caused by a train crash. The train is crumpled and in flames, and shortly after, a menacing dark cloud with red lightning chases the protagonist and his family as they drive to evacuate. In real life, December 1st, 2022, House Resolution 100 is passed into law. This law requires that railway workers and unions accept a contract that gives them zero paid time off per year. Meanwhile, I, an entry-level call center employee, have so far accrued 69.69 hours of PTO this year. Nice. And yes, that is accurate. This railway contract, according to the unions, have had 60% of their workers upset and prepared to strike to try and get at least seven days of paid time off. Rather than giving the people what they wanted... House Resolution 100 instead made it an arrestable offense if the railway workers went on strike. That's right, this law made it possible to arrest workers for peacefully protesting. And it cited a 96-year-old law to do it. December 6th, 2022, I released an episode talking about this issue titled, I Like Trains. It mentions that during the Congress phase for this resolution, there was talk about amending it to add seven paid sick days off, but it was struck down in the Senate. In that episode, I strongly condemned the Biden administration for the sheer absurdity of using a law older than Biden to justify outlawing a peaceful protest, and lamented at his likely empty promise that this fight is not over and I will continue fighting for your paid time off. Since this law went into effect and I released that episode, hundreds of railway workers have quit their jobs, despite the fact that leaving voluntarily meant that they were not eligible for unemployment benefits. Finding more specific statistics on how many workers have quit versus how many chose to stay with this new contract is difficult. The only statistic I was really able to find was that there was an exodus of over 700 workers from the railway company BNSF out of the 41,000 people that it employs. February 3rd, 2023, approximately 8.30 p.m., sparks are seen flying from an axle on one train car. This one train car is connected to a train 153 cars long. 141 loaded cars, 9 empty, and 3 engines. A security camera in Pittsburgh, Ohio, 
captures an image of flames erupting from this axle. 20 miles later, near East Palestine, 8.55 p.m., over 50 cars jump the rails. Of the cars that derailed, 20 of them were carrying dangerous chemicals. Of course, the immediate crash lit several small fires, but thankfully there were no casualties because the train was staffed by two people. Yes, really, a train 153 cars long, nearly 2 miles, or 3.1 kilometers long, was staffed by two people. First responders, over 70 emergency agencies, and then the National Guard arrive over the next two days, and the fires are fully extinguished by the end of February 5th. On February 6th, it is noticed that the chemicals from those tanks are starting to leak into two nearby rivers. At this point, the chemicals have already spread over seven and a half miles of river and killed 3,500 fish. Several concerns are brought forth, primarily about the possibility of an explosion from some of the tankers that are damaged but still pressurized. In an effort to avoid this possibility and start cleaning up the chemicals, the authorities decide to light it on fire. I have to be joking, right? No one in their right mind, scared of the possibility of an explosion, would decide to intentionally light toxic chemicals and known carcinogens on fire, right? I'm not joking. An official report from the United States Environmental Protection Agency details how, in an effort to clean up the spill and avert a possible explosion, they opened the tanks, lit the escaping chemicals on fire in a controlled burn, and in the process, released phosgene, hydrogen chloride, and vinyl chloride into the air. Vinyl chloride is used in the production of specific PVC plastic products, and is linked to an increased risk of rare cancers if its vapors are inhaled. Phosgene is even worse. It's extremely poisonous, and it was used as a chemical weapon in World War I. Phosgene is also a heavy gas, so it won't float away. It stays close to the ground. Which explains why young toddlers in East Palestine are the ones getting affected first, complaining of skin irritation and coughing. Oh, and hydrogen chloride? when inhaled, turns into hydrochloric acid inside of your lungs. In addition, Neil Donahue, a chemistry professor at Carnegie Mellon University, stated that burning the vinyl chloride produced dioxins, which, unlike most other gas pollutants, persist in the air for longer periods of time. Someone should get, at the very least, fired over this, if not also slapped with charges of criminal negligence. After all, you could have simply cleared the tracks, pulled up an empty train next to it, and transferred the chemicals from the damaged tanks into undamaged ones on a new train. Or, if the tracks were damaged and that wasn't possible, use tanker trucks instead. In this scenario, the dangerous chemicals are safely contained, the risk of an explosion is averted anyway, but there are issues with transferring the chemicals, considering the state of the containers. But still, it's probably safer than lighting it on fire. Apparently, lighting these chemicals on fire caused no issues. It's, it's all fine. According to the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, they assisted Norfolk Southern, the company that owns the train that derailed, 
in testing the air quality in the area, and all 210 tomes that were tested turned out negative for these dangerous chemicals. That's right, the EPA didn't do the testing themselves. Instead, they assisted the company at fault for this incident in testing it for them. And, of course, found no issues. I don't believe you. The stories we want to hear the least are the ones we need to hear the most. This quote comes from a TV show called Madam Secretary. In particular, it comes from Season 3, Episode 21. And in this episode, a journalist is wrongfully detained in a foreign country for exposing a secret deal that circumvents sanctions. While the context of this real-life story is different, that quote is still relevant, which is why I knew the moment I heard it that I was going to steal it for this part of the episode. February 8th, a News Nation reporter Evan Lambert was giving a live news report at a conference hosted by the Ohio governor, Mike DeWine. He was hushed by a law enforcement officer because DeWine was going to begin speaking. Lambert quickly finished his live report, but was then asked to leave by the authorities. Leave? From a public news conference? Lambert was then forcibly removed from the event, arrested, and charged with disorderly conduct and criminal trespassing. The charges were later dropped and Lambert was released the next day, and there is debate as to whether or not this was justified or not, or even related to the train crash or not. There is speculation that this was an attempt to suppress the press. After all, up until around February 8th, the train crash was limited to only local news, but Lambert is from a much larger national news station. However, the story reached national news around February 9th anyway, so it's possible that the charges were dropped at this time because the genie was already out of the bottle. This is merely speculation and may not be correct. No other reporters appear to have been arrested surrounding this incident, and there doesn't seem to be any other incidents of media suppression. In fact, the sections talking about this has been removed and replaced from the Wikipedia article on this derailment a few times because of its questionable relevance. On February 14th, Governor Mike DeWine told reporters that after the controlled release of the chemicals, the controlled release of the chemicals, President Biden had offered federal assistance, but DeWine felt no assistance was really necessary. However, on February 18th, or sorry, February 16th, DeWine released a statement saying that he had requested more assistance and had been informed by FEMA that this situation was not eligible for FEMA assistance. In a press briefing the same day from the White House, Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre said that FEMA is on the front lines when there are things like tornadoes, hurricanes, or other natural disasters. But this situation was different. So rather than FEMA, other agencies like the Center of Disease Control and the Environmental Protection Agency would be reacting instead. The next day, February 17th, the White House released a fact sheet on the federal response to the derailment. In this fact sheet, it is claimed that FEMA was working closely with the coordinating was working closely with and coordinating the actions of the EPA, DOT, CDC, Department for Health and Human Services, the Ohio Emergency Management Agency, and other federal partners. So apparently FEMA was running the response the whole time? But then why did Corrine, the press secretary, say that FEMA wasn't 
necessary or used in the situation at all? And why did Mike DeWine say that he was refused FEMA assistance? Is the fact sheet lying? Or is Kareen and Mike DeWine? I named this episode Three Kilometer Ohio in a reference to the Three Mile Island incident, except it happened in Ohio and the train was only three kilometers long, not three miles long. How bad will this incident actually turn out in the long run? Will it be like Three Mile Island? Will it be like the Three Mile Island incident, which, while frightening, appears to have had no major long-term effects? Or will it be more like Chernobyl, which rendered a large area of land uninhabitable and thousands of deaths are attributed to its fallout? Ultimately, only time will tell, but it's probably somewhere in the middle. According to Scientific American, the chemicals the train was carrying, including vinyl chloride, are linked to rare kinds of liver cancers. Burning vinyl chloride produces two things, phosgene, a heavy gas that displaces oxygen and was used in World War I to heal trenches full of soldiers, and hydrogen chloride, which, when inhaled, can turn into hydrochloric acid inside of your lungs, especially when it was burned off. This isn't, of course, it isn't possible to know exactly what will happen with these chemicals, especially when it was burned off. This isn't exactly a controlled laboratory setting. Several chemists are urging the Environmental Protection Agency, Norfolk Southern, and many other groups to consistently and constantly modern the situation, monitor the situation, for years to come. Some are even urging citizens to do this kind of monitoring themselves, especially considering that North Palestine is a smaller town in an area known to have issues with health care. In a time when these people may need more care and definitely need testing, it may be significantly harder and prohibitively expensive to get this care they need. The last thing to cover this story is actually the first thing that happened, chronologically. Could this whole derailment have been avoided? In 2014, Congress passed the Rail Safety Improvement Act, which required that high-hazard flammable trains use electronically controlled pneumatic brakes, or ECP brakes. But in 2017, railway industries lobbied Congress with over $9 million to repeal the regulation and did so successfully. Then, in 2018, the Trump administration rolled back the requirement for these ECP brakes. A lot of news companies are claiming that this lapse of these requirements for these brakes is what caused this incident, or at the very least, made the incident more severe. But there's one issue to this. The train that derailed did not meet the qualifications of high-hazard flammable. I mentioned earlier the size and length of this train a total of 153 cars, three of those were engines, nine were empty cars, 14 were carrying vinyl chloride, which is a high-hazard flammable, six were carrying other hazardous materials also classified as high-hazard flammable, and there were 121 cars carrying non-hazardous items. Due to this, the train was classified as a mixed freight train rather than a high-hazard flammable train, and was not required to have ECP brakes, even if the restriction from 2014 wasn't repealed. As a result, there are two things I can see that may have prevented this incident. 
One would be requiring stricter regulations on all trains to prevent this mixed freight loophole. And the second thing would be to just give those railway workers the sick days they want so damn much. Then, the train wouldn't have been staffed by just two people, and the workers may have noticed that their train was on fire and stopped the train far before it derailed. And it could have been stopped before it was derailed. It was first noticed by a security camera that the axle of one of the cars was on fire and didn't derail until 20 miles later. Moving at 55 miles an hour, that gives about 20 minutes and 20 miles to notice the issue and stop the train. According to the Minnesota Safety Council, the average train, at about that length and moving at that speed, could stop in about a mile after the emergency brake is applied. That is well within 20 miles. I suppose hindsight is 2020, and we can't exactly go back in time to fix it. Still, we can learn from this mistake and take steps to avoid this from happening again. I urge our government to reinstate the requirement of ECP brakes and close the mixed freight loophole that allows certain trains to not have ECP brakes even if it carries hazardous materials. In addition, I urge our government to improve working conditions for railway workers so that they will no longer be staffing only two workers to a train. If these and other actions are taken to prevent this from happening, our future might just be a little bit brighter. There's no one in the voice chat today, so I've got one last thing to say. This episode releases on February 21st, 2023 one year after the beginning of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. It also happens to be the release date for a AAA game, a, a big title, called Atomic Heart. Atomic Heart has many Russian and Soviet themes, and so the release of this game is sure to be a political point of contention. I am actually still debating if I will buy this game, because while I am interested, I'm not sure if any of the money, if the tax money taken from my purchase, would actually go to supporting the Russian side of the conflict. And so, coming next week, an episode titled, Atomic Heart to Heart. Check the description for more information, including the resources I used to build this episode, and all the places where you can find my podcast. You can also join our Discord server to discuss these and other topics, as well as join in when these episodes are recorded live every Monday at 7pm Central. If you would like to support the show and spread the word, I have a merch store full of items that show off both the show's logo and icons for individual episodes. As always, thank you for listening to this episode of Bright Future. These episodes are released every Tuesday at 6pm Central, so I'll see you back here next week.